0: This is the Real Estate Rookie Show 13.
1: There were 85 leads that came in. Of those 85, we had nearly 50 appointments that we connected on with people. You know, of those, we put 25 offers out and maybe here in a bit, we'll talk about some of the fruits of those offers.
0: My name is Ashley Kerr and I am here with my co-host, Leap Eight, Tiny Biceps, Mejia. Uh, and today is the best day of my life because one of our guests called him out on his flexing on the ground.
2: <laughs> okay, first of all, the only reason he called me out is because I called Ashley out saying that she is, or that I am Ashley's MVP. Yeah. So they were defending the, uh, the the notorious Ashley. Everyone so, knows no, you're my awesome. MVP, though. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Yeah. So, today we actually have part two of Ryan and Drew's show. And if you hadn't heard Ryan and Drew's show, they're episode nine from our show. So, just go back, Bigger Pockets, Rookie Nine, where you can hear that. But today we get the second part of that, where Drew and Ryan both go into, uh, well, actually, Drew goes into the deal that he actually was able to close and what he's doing, how he's getting financing. Is he wholesaling it? Tune in. And he's going to explain how we ran through all of that. And I love this because he goes step by step on how to wholesale a deal from what he puts on the paper to how he closes the deal to what he does after the deal. It's great.
0: Yeah. And what stood out to me is how they focused on this on the last episode, too. And on here is their business ethics, too. A lot of their business can be word of mouth. Like they said, even people that say no to them are leaving them five-star reviews on, you know, the Better Business Bureau. And I I like all these little tidbits they drop about how you want to build rapport with with these people and you want to leave with that rapport too. You don't want to leave the bad blood. You don't want to threaten these people like this is your last chance to get this offer or we're walking away. So I, I like learning about their business ethics too. And then Drew, it was just fascinating to see how short of a time he's gotten six deals already from doing this direct mail campaign. And um, like Felipe said, he will take us uh, through one of those.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So let's bring Drew and
3: Ryan in. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent-to-retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller-financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. T-O-Retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC, but you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Head over to corporatedirect.com/slash/biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention real estate rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com/slash/biggerpockets. If you're in the landlord game, you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now, Rent Ready's got an important new feature. Proof of income verification. And get this with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. So say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with Rent Ready. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. Now, if you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for just $1. You can't beat that. So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor to get six months of rent ready for $1.
0: Drew and Ryan, we had you guys on uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we started out with talking about the marketing you're doing to try to find some deals for Drew. Do you want to kind of recap that for us?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, episode nine, we did a couple of weeks ago, and you know, I've done a fair amount of real estate in the past, lots of different transactions. But when it comes to marketing direct to sellers for their homes, a lot of the just modern ways of putting yourself and your business out there, I was very much a rookie on that front. And so, began seeking out mentors and people who could really teach me that that niche that I was that I was missing. And Ryan was one of those people that we landed on.
2: No, that's that's really good. And if for anyone that wants to uh, kind of hear what the what the whole show was about, you can go to biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie nine. And then, you know, you can see everything that we talked about, you know, Ryan and Drew, Ryan being a professional, Drew being a newbie just in this field and, uh, you know, what it took to overcome some of the things that he had to go through. So if you want to go back and listen to the whole show, like I said, biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie nine, that's where you can find that. Basically, Drew is a very, you know, busy professional, but still wants to find off-market deals, did some research, found Ryan. And Ryan was like, yeah, because because Ryan's a professional in this field. Drew was like, okay, perfect. So I'm going to, you know, get with him and, and 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 get this going. Seeking out a mentor is really important. And then, you know, Drew was able to set up a local brand, an online presence, just get some really, really good positive reviews using the, the, the how to win friends and influence people type of marketing.
4: Uh, is that about right, Drew? Yeah, I think you nailed it. Put a nice little bow on that.
0: <laughs> yeah, so today... I want to go on and focus about your first direct mail campaign. How did that go and where are you now with it?
1: Sure. So as we mentioned in the last round, the first type of mailing that we started with was absentee owners with equity. And we've just done that first campaign and truth be told, it kind of exploded in in ways that I, I mean, I knew it would be positive, but it, it has really, really took off. I mean, just to to put some specific numbers to it, I think from that first mailing of about 2,600 mailers that we sent out, there were 85 leads that came in. Of those 85, we had nearly 50 appointments that we connected wow. on with people. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and you know, of those, we put 25 offers out and maybe here in a bit, we'll talk about some of the fruits of those offers. Hey Drew, what does your mail piece say?
4: Like what specifically does it say? We'd have to break your legs. No, it's, uh, it's, it's really pretty straightforward. So kind of like you touched on, it's how to win friends and influence people based. So we try to kick off the conversation with the person. We never call out like if we know something's going on. So if it's like a foreclosure mailing, we're not like, sorry to hear that you're about to lose your home. We'd like to take it from you, right? It's it's uh, our copy is pretty much the same on everything. It's kind of a dear John and Sarah, what are your plans for 123 Main Street? Uh, We've prepared a cash offer we'd like to discuss with you. And then um, Drew uses our answering service. So please give my office a call the way they're not expecting to talk to Drew. Phone number, thanks in advance, signed by Drew. And then it's, you know, branded, ties back to uh, the Carrot site, has his website and stuff on it.
2: Well, that sounds too simple to work, Ryan. What do you mean? That that sounds way too easy. Yeah, it's,
4: you know. (laughs) (laughs) There's no need to do these like, expiring offer final notice you know mailers that look like a check when they open them like nobody wants to start off a relationship feeling deceived or threatened or scared it's just my take on it i mean does it work uh sure it must or people wouldn't do them but it's just not the kind of business i want to run
1: well, and, and to that point, prior to connecting with Ryan and, and kind of learning from his knowledge, we I've done a lot of direct mail on my own. I don't know that it's been very systematized or very organized, but we did have some of those canned messages where we spoke to whatever the hardship or the issue was. And there was some fruit from it, but not nearly like we're seeing now. And, you know, I think it's there's value in just putting a basic message out there. Um, and people seem to respond to it much better than they did me, in times past,
4: well, I think the problem when you call things out. So my uh my brother's father-in-law passed away a couple of weeks back. And one of my buddies mailed his mother-in-law with a "Oh, so sorry for your loss. I'd like to buy your house." And let's just say the feedback she provided was not great. Yeah, <laughs> so I would not um, expect that to be. No, nobody wants a sorry for your loss from a stranger.
0: Yeah. Especially when they're trying to get something out of it at the end. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, even if he had good intentions of, you know, I'm going to help her by purchasing the house, it just doesn't come off that way when you kind of call out what's going on in their life.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Hey, Drew, let me ask you a quick question there, bro. What's a good response rate for the mailers that you sent out? So let's say you send out 2000, 5000. Give us a, a real life example of how many you've
1: sent out in the past and you're like, okay, this would be a successful response rate. Oh man. That's a fantastic question. It's tough to put a number to, you know, if I'm going to send a batch out that big in times past, I would hope to pull one or two deals out of that. I think I would have felt that would have been a success. You know, now we this this round's been much more successful, so it's probably realigning my expectations. We plan to start mailing some different lists going forward, and it'll be really interesting to see what sort of response rates we get from you know different niche lists and and things like that. So I don't know that I have a, a magic number for you, um, but I can tell you it's exceeded my expectations. So I, I can speak to that a
4: little bit. So the average that I've seen with our clients all across the board is between one to three percent kind of on average. So if they're below that 1%, you know, on something like an absentee owner campaign, that's, that's perfectly okay. We just know we need to go more niched down in that market. We need to get a little bit more creative than just they own a house they don't live in, right? There's obviously outliers. (laughs) We've had six and 7% response rates as well. Um, But I would say with our pieces on average, about one and a half is what we normally see. But I would caution you not to focus on the metrics like that that don't matter. Really good way to look at this. Like, let's say you have two marketing campaigns that go out. One gets a one-tenth of a response rate. The other gets a 10% of a response rate. But you don't get any deals on the 10% response rate. Well, which one would you probably want to mail again? I want to mail the one that produced fruit even if I right. wish it had produced kind of more leads. So I typically focus on the number of pieces sent per deal or the, the amount of money spent per deal per list is kind of how I look at it.
0: Okay, cool. Now, Drew, let's talk about, so what's happened. You had, you know, the 25 people you set up meetings with, how are you making those offers? I mean, are you actually writing up a, a contract, a letter of intent, or is it verbal that you're doing the offers? with these
1: people? Sure. It, it kind of depends on whether I'm physically there with people or not. Rapport is a big deal, right? And so when you meet with these people, getting to know them and understand their situation and kind of understanding the bigger picture is important. Mm-hmm. And so I try to stay flexible and, and feel out the situation. If they are ready for an offer because they are done and they need to be out in two weeks, then I'm going to give them one on the yeah. spot. If other folks really kind of push back hard and they... They're just not quite ready. I'll make it available. I'll let them know, Hey, if you're interested in it, I can make you an offer today, but if you need to think about it, I can follow up with you tomorrow day after and and kind of put the timetable on them. So I don't know if that's the best approach, but it's been fruitful so far.
2: Drew, how do you know what you're going to offer? Like, how do you analyze that deal, that market, and how do you make a, a fair offer to, you know, the
1: potential? Like, how do you come up with that number? Sure, sure. So I think everyone's answer to this is going to be a little bit different in their specific market. And of course, with coronavirus and all of that, that's probably influenced some of at least my strategy a little bit. But generally speaking, I'm looking at what I think the value of that house is. I'll begin at about 70 to 75% of what that property is minus whatever repairs I think that the property needs. One of the houses that we looked at, it literally needs nothing. I mean, I could list it today and and it would sell, but they own three houses and there's been an illness in the family and they just need to focus and be done with this house. And so in in that scenario, I didn't have to discount for repairs and things like that. So I gave them a a 75% offer based on the current value of the house.
4: Beautiful. Nothing like making 25%.
2: I like that because a lot of people don't realize that you know people are selling their homes for different reasons and it's not always necessarily money right sometimes people just want to get out of it because they have to sell it because i don't know a death in the family a divorce you know these ugly things that do happen but sometimes people just need to get out of it because it's court ordered or they have to split it or whatever. It's not always the pressure of money that they have to sell it, right? Sometimes people are moving and and they just they just need to get rid of the home and they, they, they care about the money, obviously, but more importantly, they're like, man, I really just want to get
4: out of here in the next 30 days because I have to move or whatever the case may be. So one thing I would throw out just for anybody who's going to go direct to seller is like the concept of motivated sellers is kind of a lie. It's very, very rare that somebody calls me and they're like, The court said I have to sell in two weeks. So, what's your number? Honestly, a lot (laughs) of the people that choose to sell to us are wealthy and just don't want to have to deal with it. A lot of people also assume that the properties are going to be just like totally destroyed. That's not the case. I mean, like Drew mentioned, this one needed nothing. Uh, We flipped a condo uh, last week that we made like 9,700 bucks on overnight that we didn't have to put anything into it repair wise. It was literally move in ready. So, Um, We kind of use the expression um, around our companies that we're just looking for reasonable people. Somebody that understands that in order to get cash for a property and close on the date they pick, they're going to have to give something up. And that's going to be cash, right? And uh, so I just, I want people, if if they start to do a direct mail campaign, they're going to get really frustrated with like nobody's motivated. Well, they're typically not, motivated. It's they're typically start out asking too much money. We explain where we're at, make the offer. They tell us, no, we follow up a few times and then they, you know, we come up a grand or two, they drop 20 or 30 and you know, bam, we have a deal, but it took a month to get it there.
0: That's really interesting to hear because I'm a big believer and it doesn't hurt to ask and you should always ask. And I feel like a lot of people, myself included, are thinking about these motivated sellers, you know, which ones, who are the people in foreclosure, who are the, the people that aren't taking care of their property that can't afford to upkeep it anymore. But that's a really great insight is it's not always those people who are willing to sell. It's just people want to be done or they want the cash and the quick closing. And I was talking to a realtor the other day and she said, it's not always about the monetary amount of the offer. It's about the terms of the offer that can make such a huge impact on whether this person's going to accept your offer or not. So I I want everyone to really think about that and and let that register. But Drew, let's get back to you and your deals. What came out of it? I'm dying to know.
1: (laughs) Sure. Do you want one specific example or kind of the big picture? I give the big picture and then dive into one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's great.
1: Okay. So right now we have three that we've done from start to finish. and And I say, start to finish because we've purchased it and either wholesaled it or I've kept it as a rental or done some sort of creative buy and hold something like that. So start to finish. We have three, um, we have three more under contract.
0: Congratulations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. It's pretty exciting. Honestly. That's insane. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) So when let's refresh everyone. Yeah. Whoever didn't listen to the first episode yet, let's refresh them. And even me, when did you start doing this um, mailing campaign?
1: I think it went out at like the very end of March um, yeah, that's and given awesome. that it's uh, what, mid-May now. So, so,
4: so let's <laughs> just highlight that date real quick. So during COVID, while most people are like, oh, you know, nobody's going to buy or sell their house or whatever, you've done six deals.
5: Yeah.
4: <laughs> I mean. Ryan sounds a little jelly
1: there. And, and, you know, maybe- I mean, no, we've done (laughs) done deals too, but. (laughs) And and I've wondered, you know, are people more motivated right now during COVID? And I don't get that impression, not more than when I've talked to other people. So it's not like I, I mean, if anything, I think more people are kind of, you know, locking themselves down, kind of holding on to their money, their houses and property, if anything. I I don't think it's the opposite.
2: Interesting. So Drew, take us through the process of working a lead, a step-by-step, like a lead comes in, they're interested. What do you do? Like, what does that look like step-by-step step from the moment they got interest to you closing the deal? Give us all the secrets.
1: Yep. Yep. So for most of these, uh, I start with a phone call back to these individuals and really again, rapport's. Is- the biggest thing. So it's really just getting to know them, letting them kind of tell their story. You know, some people will be motivated and they'll come right out and tell you that other people, they just want to know what your offer is. And so the more I can get to know them and kind of explain to them who we are and what we do, that's kind of step number one. And so then that conversation could branch lots of different ways. Some people want to get immediately to numbers. Other people just want to get to tell their story um, because everyone likes to tell their story, right? My goal, though, is to try to set up a face-to-face appointment with them at the house before the end of that call. And most of the time, we're able to achieve that, but not every time.
0: Ryan, I want right. to ask you, last time you had mentioned that you can you know, get people as many deals, but they need to be able to close those deals and be able to get in front of the person. Can you give us some tips that you have given drew and that you give other people as to, you know, how to interact with these people when you are meeting with them during that first engagement.
4: Yeah. So, I mean, drew kind of touched on it a little bit. Rapport is obviously the biggest thing. So it's funny cause I've been on appointments and then it's like, you notice the, the one I have in mind in particular, uh, was a older uh, retired vet and I noticed he had like 15 bottles of Johnny Walker blue on like a shelf of all like empty bottles, so it was like okay, a this guy likes to drink, but you know, b he's he's into Johnny Walker, so I just kind of acknowledged it, you know, oh they make uh, great Scotch, and uh, he just lights up, and it was like that was his that was his thing, and I kid you not, he goes, oh man, yeah, it's just it's uh it's like that's that's my one vice I've got. Hey, let me show you my stock portfolio pulls out his portfolio, drops it on the counter, and goes, I have a million dollars in the stock market. My goal, Ryan, is to move to the Philippines and get me a wife or two. (laughs) And I was like, okay, no (laughs) no judgment there. He goes, uh, yeah, he goes, you know, old guy like me with a million dollars, I'm going to live like a king for the rest of my years. And I just need to sell this house to get on my way. As you can see, I don't need the money. And before that, the whole interaction was like very kind of like caged off. He was very just like, yes you know walk through the home let me know what questions you have i mean it was like you know we kind of just flipped this switch so we're always kind of looking for like what's their thing is it a pet is it traveling is it cooking is it so it's we've we've noticed uh, particularly gentlemen with turbo diesel trucks like that's their thing so you notice a turbo diesel dually sitting out front and you comment on it and all of a sudden they're like oh heck <laughs> you know they're like bro down <laughs> with you right away right So it's, it's kind of looking for that. And then similar on the closing kind of percentage beefing that upside, we kind of use the same approach we do with our marketing. It's not this like, well, I can only buy one house today. Is it going to be yours or is it going to be my next appointment? Let's go. We need to get this signed. Like we're not pushing people into anything that they don't want to do, which is great because then we don't have people calling us the next day asking if they can get out of the contract they signed. Um, so our approach is very much like, hey, Mr. Seller, my my contractors are going to charge me X to remodel this property, uh, knowing that what do you think is fair? So we're not telling them this is what your house is worth, because the problem with that, you ask five different realtors what it's worth and you're going to get five different answers. We're not telling them your house needs twenty thousand dollars worth of work because then they're going to be like, oh, well, my, you know, buddy Bubba who I pay in beer will do it for three dollars. Right. So. By making it very, this is what makes sense for us. This is where we would need to be. We're also protecting our integrity. Uh, One thing I learned early on when I would throw out like your house needs $20,000 worth of work. Anybody else could make me a liar if they disagreed with that number. By telling them my contractors are going to charge me X to get this into the condition of my other properties. They can't argue with that, (laughs) right? Like, hey, you may be able to get it done for less. I'm just telling you the guys I'm comfortable with that do all my projects are going to charge me this. So what do you think is fair? So it's very kind of how to win friends and influence people based and then kind of just last pro tip I'll throw out there on that will use anything they mentioned as like a as a rebuttal. So if they throw out a, you know, well, I'll just list it. Well, you told me yourself earlier that you tried that in the past and the house didn't sell. So. So where would you need to be in order to make this work? So it's, um, you mentioned like just asking, uh, one of the phrases we have is just see what you can get away with. So somebody tells you, no, that's not the end of the conversation. See if you can get a second no, and then maybe a third. And it's funny cause some of our guys will come back and they'll be like, dude, they finally said yes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you <laughs> yeah. just got to keep pushing.
2: Right, yeah, no, right. that sounds, that's really good. But I, I feel like in most of your conversation there, you were talking about rapport, diesel truck. The guy moving to the Philippines. Two wives. I don't know about that one, but whatever. Um, I judged him a little bit. uh, A little bit. (laughs) Just a a little. That million is going to go real quick. So building the rapport is super, super crucial. But Drew, back to what we were talking about. So let's let's get back to that step by step. Okay. So you built rapport with a person. You hopefully have got a face-to-face meeting. Now
1: what? Yep. So even before that first call, I'm I'm aware of what I think the property's approximately worth. But once we get that appointment, then I really kind of dig into it before I go, uh, making sure that I I'm pretty confident in what I feel that, you know, the neighborhood and the house is worth. And then we go to that appointment. And again, hopefully they're willing to take us through and show things, but I kind of let them lead, right? At least I do. You know, what they're comfortable with showing then I'll take a look at, you know, and some people are real nervous and say, oh, the house isn't clean or it looks terrible. And I just don't look, I've seen some of the worst, you, however bad your house is, it can't be as bad as some of them that I've been through. Um, but we go through it and, you know, by the end of the appointment, either I like for them to try to put their number out there first, if there's any way to get them to say what they're thinking, because that gives me an idea of, you know, are you $50,000, you know, way over asking, uh, or way over what it's worth or what I'm thinking. And sometimes that's hard to do. But if I can get them to you know, give me an idea of what they're looking for, then I can start the discussions of, well, here's what I'm thinking. Admittedly, one of the hardest lessons for me to learn in these last six weeks is to, I, I tend to let my number be too high right out of the gate. And I have proven to myself uh, with time and and practice that if you start low, it gives you more room to come up which makes you look more gracious and more agreeable. Why do you feel like we do that? Why do you feel like you
2: come in too strong right off the bat offering like this top dollar where you now you don't have any flexibility?
1: Sure. You know, when you go to build rapport, you want to have a good relationship with them, right? You want to be that guy or that gal who's going to either help fix their problem or just, you know, have a good relationship. And, you know, I think for me, it's the fear of lowballing someone and immediately ruining that relationship. As I push myself... I've learned that it you can still be really honest with what, what you need for it to work for your business. And people don't seem to get too upset if you've done a good job of listening to them and hearing what they have to say while you're there. Okay. Awesome. So
2: what happens? Say you're in there. Great, great thing. Hopefully you haven't got cussed out of the house. Let's say you guys agree on a number. What next?
1: Yeah. If, if we agree and it's that easy, you know, I always have uh, purchase agreements with me either on paper. I tend to do everything electronically, but a lot of people don't do email, things like that. So if I'm there and they're agreeable on site, we try to knock it out while we're right there. If you can tell that that seller's very tech savvy and they'd prefer to have it done electronically, I let them know, okay, I'm going to jump in the truck and head home and you'll hear from me within two hours. And if I tell them it's two hours, then I absolutely get back to them within two hours.
0: Drew, do you ever give a deposit to them like that first day when you're there?
1: I personally don't. No. Heck no. <laughs> that was a good question. No, it, it is a good question. I, I think a lot of rookies ask, you know, how do we, how do we get the ball rolling on it? What, what I do is on my purchase agreement, of course, there's a field for earnest money, and I'll put a modest amount for earnest money. But that gets sent in my world. That's get get sent to the title company along with the purchase agreement.
4: Yeah, cause good luck getting earnest money back from a seller if you right. do an inspection and find out you can't do the deal. They're like, "No, nah, I'm just gonna keep it." <laughs> and it's like,
0: and do, well, do you guys do an inspection period too, on um, or does that really depend on the deal? I, I
4: do on every deal. I oh, mean, yeah? okay, yeah, we, you know, our our guys. So in, in my business, I have people who go and actually do acquisitions for me. At this point, I don't. I'm not going to meet with sellers anymore, but like, they're not contractors. Mm-hmm. So they may come up with the estimate of this needs thirty thousand, and we may get in there and be like, "This needs 80. <laughs> like, <laughs> how did you botch this this bad, right? So, I mean, we tell all of our, all of our sellers it's an inspection period, but we're not doing like a retail inspection. Normally, what that looks like is we're going to walk through with our project manager or a GC and just verify our numbers. And um, we're also pretty clear with them, like, don't start to move out or anything until that's done. Like once that's done, like you have a done deal. But if, you know, we do that and find foundation damage or something like that, um, we're either going to have to lower the price or, you know, we may not be able to come to terms, but we kind of just like set that precedent of really clearly explaining what that is. That way, you know, somebody doesn't move out and then the inspection doesn't go well.
0: Yeah, that's interesting.
2: Let me, let me butt in there real quick. So here in the state of Tennessee, Based on inspection, you have to have a licensed inspector. So how does that differ state to state? So like, for example, on my contracts, I always put, you know, based on inspection, I'm going to go through this deal. Basically, if I don't find something crazy, but if I don't bring in a a licensed inspector, then I can't follow through with that based on inspection. How does that work with you guys?
4: Yeah, I mean that's not an Indiana thing. I've never heard of that before. (laughs) So, because I can't just have my uncle tell me, "Hey, this is
2: this isn't going to work," and then me go back to the seller and say, "Hey, based on inspection, you know this isn't going to work." If if they if they counter if they you know go come back and say, "Okay, well, who was the licensed person that did that?" then I'm in trouble. So I have to figure out, I have to make sure that I pay a so, license. So yeah, I mean, inspector. you would be
4: doing full-blown retail inspections. We we yep. fortunately don't have to do that, which I think is better for the sellers as well as for us. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, I'll be honest, we've bought some deals. I've never met an investor who's never gone over budget. Um, we've bought some deals That's that true. had we done a full blown <laughs> inspection, we may not have bought the deal. So it yeah. was better for them that my GC Been there. missed something, right? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no. I mean, one thing I will throw out because this is their rookie show: like, don't use you know BS escape clauses of partner approval or you know funding partner. Like, truly, it it should be a matter of as long as the property matches the conditions you're expecting, you'll move forward with the deal. I, like I that. want to mention to, to
0: anyone that last week on Rookie Show 12, we actually did have a home inspector. If you guys haven't listened yet, it's uh, Rose Buckley. So go back and listen to that episode. If you want to learn more about home inspection, inspections, she's a, a licensed inspector and she gives really great tips as to why you can use one for different properties.
5: Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home.
3: Rookies, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. Nope, they've now rolled out proof of income verification. So let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets, but if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. How great of a deal is that? So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T. R E D I dot com and use the code BP investor. That's BP like bigger pockets investor to get six months of rents ready for only one
6: dollar. Remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at DealMachine.com slash BP. Seeking
5: the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.
0: But I want to uh, go back to those steps. So you've gotten to the inspection part. You've done your deal and, and now, or Drew, did you even say, are you doing inspections?
1: Uh, for me, it kind of depends on my house. Uh, okay. Again, I At my RIA, my Real Estate Investors Association, that's always how we encourage everyone to do inspections. You know, maybe the day comes where you feel confident enough that you can go without it. And so every now and then I might go without it. But um, once we've got it under contract, um, we send the contract and the earnest money to the title company. If we're going to do inspections, I schedule them immediately. Because most of these transactions, they move pretty quick. Ideally, they move pretty quick. So we try to get the ball rolling on inspections. And from then, you know, the title company, at least here in my state, title company keeps me in touch or keeps in touch with me to let me know when we are clear to close and we we schedule it and head that way. So now you've, you've
2: done the inspection, you are clear to close, then what happens? I mean, you wholesale it, you keep it as a rental. How do you decide what you're gonna do with this property? Do you know prior to even getting it under contract? And then how do you uh, wholesale it to someone else?
1: Yeah. So I know what my plan is long before I ever put my name on a contract. Um, if I don't have a very specific plan with at least two or three exit strategies in case option number one doesn't pan out, if you don't have that, you probably shouldn't be making your offer, you know, until, until you know, at least, at least have you plan. Right. Your plan might not Uh, pan out the way you want, but that's how we approach it.
0: I think every episode we've done lately, everyone's talking about exit strategies. It's been a very uh, common theme and very Uh, If you only have one,
4: it's a good way to donate your earnest money.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yep. So uh, most of what I do is I like to hold on to most of what I can. I will wholesale some out what I've done so far has, is, is more of hoteling where I use my money to actually pay for the property and then I might sell it immediately to another cash investor. But Ryan, maybe Ryan can speak to best practices for wholesaling because admittedly, this is an opportunity for me to learn and grow. I haven't learned the art of uh, getting that property under contract and then letting that seller know, hey, I'm gonna sell this to someone else and what that process looks like tag Ryan.
4: Yeah, so uh similar to Drew, I love wholesaling. If you have the cash or the private money for it, you can pretty much always wait, make wait, money. Wait, wait, wait. What's what's wholesaling? We went from wholesaling to hoteling. It's basically a flip that you do nothing to. So you close on the property, turn around and list it on the MLS. It's funny though cuz every time I use it, people are like, "Is that are you misspelling wholesaling?" And I'm like, <laughs> "No, it's different." <laughs> so, when it comes to wholesaling, Similar to Drew, um, I have multiple exit strategies. So it is extremely rare that we like pull out of a purchase and sale agreement. I'm not and comically, we're actually the people a lot of sellers in our market go to when somebody else who's trying to wholesale can't get the deal done, right? And we actually just got one of those back this week. So if we go under contract on the property, we want it to be such a good deal that if I can't find a buyer for it, I'm comfortable buying it. Now, that's bit me a few times. But I would rather be a man of my word than be known as the guy who makes offers and then pulls out all the time, right? So my favorite way to find buyers for these deals, it's kind of market-specific if they have the data or not. But we use a tool called PropStream, and you can run a search for basically sold MLS listings that went to investors or absentee owners or corporate buyers. So we're basically trying to find investors who bought off the market. You can then export out that uh, that data. And in some markets, they'll even have like the emails and phone numbers right there. In other markets, you have to go Google those realtors' names and call them. But we'll sort it, look for the most popular ones, call them, uh, you know, hey, Ashley, I noticed you've sold five properties to investors in the past six months. Do you still have investors looking to buy? I've got one in the same zip code. Uh, Incredible way to move your deals. It's like that's uh, like one of my quote unquote secrets. Yeah, that's a really great
0: tip. I wouldn't have thought of that because even for myself, when I first started out, I had no idea how to you know find a wholesaler or network one. Where if my realtor would have came to me and said, "Hey, I know a guy that has you know a deal in the area you like to buy," that would have been great for me too yeah I, and I there's I mean there's a we
4: typically will uh'll we'll bribe them a little bit <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> you know hey going commission is two and a half I'll pay you three or I'll pay you four um on like low end properties which we get in Indiana you know if I've got a thirty thousand dollar house there's times I've thrown out a ten percent BAC where they're like, oh my gosh I'm gonna make three grand right yeah I'm now their favorite person so who do you think they go to next time they have a deal or next time they have a buyer that's looking for something so it's I think a lot of people that aren't licensed are hesitant to license or to network with people who are licensed and i think that's a huge mistake so yeah man that's that's
2: gold right there that makes that makes so much sense i'm going to definitely go back and 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 figure out exactly how to do that because i would same thing you know i'd love if a wholesaler and my realtor were in cahoots and would just send me everything personally everyone makes money the wholesaler the realtor and then you know me with the
4: rental property so I have a video on it that I can give you guys the link to if you wanna throw in like show notes or whatever that walks through like step-by-step, click here, click here, kind of a thing.
0: That's awesome, yeah, so we can put that at biggerpockets.com forward slash rookie13 if anyone wants to check out that video. So thank you, Ryan.
2: Yeah, thanks for that, Ryan. Hey, Ryan, so what are your tips to Drew when it came to building rapport and negotiating? So we've talked about, it seems like those two seem to be the most important part of this, building rapport and negotiating the deal. So what what tips did you give Drew to accomplish this and just be very successful?
4: So for somebody who's done as much real estate as I have, I'm an awful negotiator. <laughs>
0: funny because i would have thought it was the opposite i would have thought you would have been great at that
4: no uh uh-uh, no uh I, when i bought my when i bought my wife her range rover they're like this is the price and i was like okay <laughs> right like i'm not i didn't i wasn't That's gonna do terrible. the whole like oh, i'm gonna leave that was terrible horrible <laughs> so for me what i really advise people on is just be conversational treat them like a person And honestly, treat the relationship like you're making a friend, not like you're seeing what you can get out of this because people can feel that difference. Like we tell sellers all the time, even if we can't come to terms, I want you to be better off just having met me. And we've even had sellers leave us like Better Business Bureau and Google reviews of like, you know, these guys are the the best people I've ever met. We couldn't come to terms. Like who's somebody who tells you no to your offer and then goes and leaves you a review? So the big thing that I really push our guys on is – don't take the first no like i think a lot of people uh, myself included were raised that no means absolutely not right it doesn't mean ask me again so for me early on in my career i really struggled with like i'm here and they're like oh oh no i was like okay cool next lead my business exploded when i started to go back and you know i'm hearing you say hearing you say no but did you have a counter or how did you get to that number So it's really just kind of like keeping the conversation flowing. So even on like our negotiation stuff, I mean, I kind of outlined our process. It's this is our offer because this is what my crews are going to charge me. You know, what do you think is fair? Can we can we do a deal here? And then just keeping that conversation flowing. It's one reason I love making offers in person if you can, because it's really awkward to be like, oh, okay, And then just like get in your vehicle and leave. (laughs) Whereas if you're in person, like, okay, cool. Now, I can definitely respect that. Um, You know, you mentioned your mortgage is 90,000 and I'm only a few grand above that, but you also told me that, you know, you've got a job transfer coming up in a month. What do you plan on doing instead? I really like
0: that advice a lot because even when I've done deals, I, you know, if I submit a low ball offer, they'll send nothing back because they're just so mad and insulted that I did that low offer. But that, and then that's through a realtor. So like I, for me to have that personal conversation with them makes it a lot easier to keep that dialogue going than them telling their realtor, then telling my realtor, then their realtor telling me. And it's just not as, Personable, so I, I'm really interested in this because I've never done anything like this where I've actually I've had people approach me to buy their properties, but it's n- never been me really approaching you them. initiating
4: the contact. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll also do what I call anchoring. So initially, what what is your asking price, right? And maybe if they didn't tell the answering service, I didn't tell you before they got out there. What number did you say you're looking to get again, right? Like even yeah. if we know they didn't give it to us, <laughs> like let's let's try for this again, but we'll start like right there on the appointment, kind of at that number, you know, if they're like Drew mentioned, they're $50,000 over retail. We'll like, oh, wow. How, how did you get to that number? You know, because typically right. it's, they didn't do comps or market research. Mm-hmm. It's just a number that they, it'd be cool if somebody gave me $100,000, <laughs> right? Yeah. So we'll kind of go through that. And we'll even, if they're pretty firm, we'll even push a little bit more of like, well, you know, the house across the street and two doors down, just sold for $140,000 below your asking price and appears to be in the same shape. You know, I'm, I'm totally, one of the phrases we use is we buy at fair market value based off the condition, right? So, you know, if you're looking to sell this property as is, I can pay fair market value, but you know, man, I got a level with you. I, I can't pay Mercedes money for something that's a Toyota, right? Like you wouldn't do that either. And they're like, no, oh, no, I get that. So it's, well, we try not to just like sucker punch them if they're like, I need you know four hundred thousand. We're like, well, we're at three grand. <laughs> like that's <laughs> we're, we're not trying to do that. But if they're like, well, I'm at four hundred thousand and stuff comps out at thirty. You know, I mean, we have California investors that'll call us and they paid three, four times that something is worth cash because somebody was a dirt bag and took advantage of them. And we'll just level with them of like, hey, I'm so sorry this happened to you. But I before we move any further in this conversation, you need to be aware that stuff retail in this super rough neighborhood you're in doesn't sell for more than 50 grand. So there's no way I'm gonna be anywhere near the 120 you paid. So we kinda just, we call it anchoring, but it's really, I think, setting the proper expectation that way they don't feel like sucker punched later on.
2: You know, listening to to what you're saying reminds me of something that one of my mentors once told me, which was, you know, Felipe, when you're talking, and and this was just, this isn't just business, this isn't just real estate, this is life. He said, Felipe, when you're listening to somebody, when you're talking to somebody, make sure that you're listening to understand that person, not just listening to reply. When you're listening to reply to somebody, they know that. One, you're cutting them off and you're ready to spit out whatever you're going to spit out before you even... You know, before they're even done with their sentence. But when you listen to to actually like understand what somebody's saying, you're gonna get a whole lot further. Like, did you remember that that he talked about his kid? You know, seven minutes ago. Why don't you ask what his kid's name was so that you can refer to him by the name? Or, you know, okay, he wants a hundred grand. He thinks that'd be cool. Why do you think that'd be cool, sir? Well, you know, I'd I'd like a brand new BMW. Well, let's talk about that, right? So like listening to understand somebody and their whys is
4: probably more important than just what you're going to reply to them. I think it's also important to look for what they don't say. So, you know, like Felipe mentioned the kid, if they mentioned, ah, oh, you know, my son's my entire world. And you notice the property's in pretty poor shape and there's not a kid's bedroom set up. You know, maybe this is a matter of he needs safer, more suitable housing to be able to spend. So it's like, most Love people that. aren't going to come right out and be like, yeah, you know, DCS said my kid can't move back in because the property's unsafe, you know? So it's, you've got to kind of look for like, what are they not telling you? Most people aren't going to be like, yeah, you know, I can't afford to replace the roof. So that's why it's leaking. They're going to be like, oh yeah, that just started. <laughs> it's like, God's <laughs> been that way for a long time. Right.
0: Yeah. So,
4: you know, you got to kind of look for like, the signs and signals of what they're not saying are almost kind of like reading between the lines.
0: Drew, I want to ask, okay, so you've had, I, if you've gotten, you know, your six deals from that, that means a lot of people have told you, no, what are you doing to follow up with these people? I mean, Ryan just talked a lot about how important it is that the first no doesn't mean no. Is there a system you have in place that you're using?
1: Sure. We made reference in one of the last episode, to the CRM that we use or the system that helps us track all of our leads, Resimply or R-E-Simply is, is the program. And it, it's fantastic. It, it gives, you can build all sorts of systems for tracking, systems that will send out. Like drip text messages. Yeah. For follow-ups and, and calendar reminders and, and all sorts of things like that. And honestly, that was one of the key pieces I was missing prior to using the CRM. And everyone tells you, follow-up is key. You know, if the answer is no today, it might be yes tomorrow. And that's something I've had to prove to myself that absolutely is true. And it's taught me some patience as well. Cause you know, <laughs> I usually, I want to get that offer done right away, but I've had to learn to keep my numbers lower, do the follow-up. The, the magic is in the follow-up a lot of the time.
4: Well, and if you jump real quick, right? If I'm like, Hey, I'm at 200 K, they say no. And I'm like, what about 240? I'm going to be like, you just gave him (laughs) 40,000. I'm going to be like, what happens if I say no again? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like what what comes next? Right. So typically with us, I mean, it's, we're going to come up a couple grand and try to get them to come down five to 10 for every thousand we move up. So, you know, we'll, Hey, you know, we worked with our contractors. We're able to kind of cut some things out of the budget. You know, I, I know we were at 200. I can do like 203. If that's agreeable to you, when would you like to close? We're kind of, you know, assuming the sale a little bit. But, yeah, you want to make sure you don't, A, give them your max right out the gate because then you've got nothing to come up with. I think people like that back and forth other than me, right? I just like to get horrible deals on depreciating luxury vehicles. But (laughs) I think most people want to feel like they got a good deal. So if they feel like they've worked you up, they feel better about coming down.
0: That's a great. I love that. Point. Yeah, that yeah. Th-
2: that makes a lot of sense. Terrible deal on your car, though. That sucks. Yeah, <laughs> That's you probably should stick to wholesaling. <laughs> 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 All right, so I want to I want to ask Drew, Drew, if you're willing, will you walk us through yeah, kind of like step by step, like you did a minute ago? But I want to hear a step by step on a real life one. So you've done a couple of deals now. Yeah, Would you mind you... picking one and walk us through step by step on one of those with numbers and everything?
0: Yeah, I want to hear the numbers on it if you don't mind. Yeah. And refresh everyone what market you're in, too.
1: Yeah I, yeah, I was going to preface that with my numbers are, are tiny because Fort Wayne, Indiana is one of the cheapest places to live in the country. So the first deal that we got, I got under contract for $23,000 and half of your listeners can't buy a garage. They're like, what? <laughs> Um, so, so I can appreciate that, but for what it's worth, this is a, this is a hundred year old house downtown. It's in the path of progress though, which is very, very exciting. So I purchased this for 23,000. We initially started talking about numbers about 18, 19, you know, that's where I started, but she was at 40 and we slowly worked together. Kind of like we talked about came to terms on that. And this house needs about $7,000 in rehab. And for a house that old, that's pretty fantastic and that's to get it rent ready. Um, so I was all into this property for about $30,000. And uh, my the property managers that I use, they've been doing those fixes right along uh, the last couple of weeks and just finished them up this week.
0: Wow, that's great. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, it actually went really quick, really quick. So uh, it got listed this week, we're asking $800 per month. Um, now admittedly, that's kind of a big number for the area, but like I had mentioned, there is a, a big, industrial um building that's across the street from this that here in fort wayne this is going to be a massive rebuilding of new commercial residential parks fountains it's going to be a it, for those of us who are local this is a very exciting project and these people get to watch it right out of their their front windows
4: they're going to make fort wayne feel less like fort wayne
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> good good so you have it listed now for rent
1: I do. Um, I do. Yeah. And it just went up yesterday. So we'll see how it pans out. This deal was small enough that I just used my own money to pay for, Mm -hmm. but I have a private lender who now that it's uh, stabilized or has been rehabbed has provided the funds so that I can pull my money back out of that. I I don't know if you want to talk about the details of that, but that's, that's been a really good strategy for us. Yeah. Dig into that a little.
0: So this would be like your long-term financing he would do?
1: Yeah, which is a little atypical. A lot of times, you know, we talk about hard money lenders or private money lenders. And a lot of times those type of loans are for six months, 12 months, 18 months while you're going through a project. Well, I have a couple of different uh, private investors and some of them like their money in and out. Some people just want to park it though, because they want mailbox money forever. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of what this gentleman wants. He wants 8% um, and he'll amortize those loans over 30 years. Now, wow. yeah, we give him first position against that property so that if I were to flake on him or something's not going well, then technically the property goes to him. So he's secured by uh, the property. But yeah, it, it works really well. And in our agreement, it's uh, there's an annual renewal. So as long as we both wanna continue the relationship, it just moves forward indefinitely. And he's done a handful of projects like that with us.
0: That's interesting. Did you guys know each other beforehand or did you meet because you were looking for a lender or he was looking for an investor?
1: We met about a year or so ago. Uh, I mean, I've known him for a while, but we started talking (laughs) about real estate. He's kind of seen some of the things that I do. And so we tested the waters with some quick in and out deals and things like that, but he wanted something more, more steady, you know, indefinite. So it's a great way to pull my money out, you know. So again, I'm in it for thirty thousand. The note that he gave me was for thirty-five thousand. So I actually have netted five grand that I can put back into marketing and go to the next project. And he's actually done, I think, three of those in the last year for me. So,
0: so everyone's going to be asking you for his number now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. right, we hide him away yeah. for sure.
4: I love when people are like, "Who are your private lenders?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah no." Like none of your business.
0: (laughs) If anyone's gonna tamp them dry, it's gonna be me. I want you know them to Uh, absolutely. (laughs) Okay, so we're gonna move on to one of our fun rounds. It's called the MVP. I'll ask both of you this actually, who is someone who has been the most valuable professional player in uh, your business and getting these deals done? So you guys can't say each other. So Drew, if you want to go first,
1: man, that's a great question. Well, I'm going to bounce to Ryan and then I'll come back.
0: Okay.
1: (laughs) Cool. I was like, Oh, I've, I've got a few seconds
4: uh, to, uh, (laughs) to think this through. So, I think for you can me, pull a Snoop Dogg and say myself. Yeah, you you <laughs> <see that where laughs> right. like I want to thank
2: I am myself. I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: so I think for me, actually, I'm I'm gonna go with Noah Gilliam. So Noah started out as my acquisitions manager, and then he actually is kind of an interesting story. Was in foster care and then left to actually start real estate. Had never done any real estate investing. Started out as an acquisitions manager. Then kind of got to the point that he was kind of like my gopher. Like, I mean, he was taking tenant calls, was posting notices, was managing projects. And then my wife and I found out we were going to be moving out of Indiana to Southern California. And we brought him in as an equity owner in our portfolio. And that's been incredible. Yeah. I mean, I get mailbox money on wholesale deals on properties I've never even seen on addresses I didn't even know we had under contract. I mean, it's. It truly, I've told him a number of times, if I could clone him, him and I would both be billionaires. <laughs> so um, he's really enabled me to kind of live the life I want, but we've also given him the life he wants of long-term wealth for his family. I mean, I think last year he pulled like 125K, so he gets paid really well, but is also building kind of the long-term wealth and it, he's really kind of made it his baby. But he brought you value
2: and structure and he he that's what he brought you and then you were able to give him the life that he wanted. So it's it's a mutual thing there. I want our listeners yeah. to hear that, that it wasn't just, you know, Ryan sucking the life out of this gentleman. No, it's, no, it's both of them giving back and forth Where they're both, because it's like Ryan just said. Ryan didn't say, "Hey, I wish I had three of him so that I could become a billionaire." No, Ryan just said, "If I could clone you, we would both be billionaires, right?" And that's the difference, I think, between a leader and just a boss or a worker bee, and you know what I'm saying. So I love that you said it that way because it's so true.
4: He's he's 26 and controls nine million worth of real estate. Not a bad position to be in, right? But on on top of that, you know, I also want to highlight. When he first came to work for me, I could barely afford to pay him. I mean, our initial conversation, I mean, this I was probably, I don't know, 21, 22 at the time, was like, hey, what's the least amount I can pay you and your family won't starve? And it was like 24,000 bucks a year. And his first year, he made like 30. His next year was like 70, then six figures, right? So it's, yeah, it really is something that kind of grew.
0: And I think the fact that you gave him equity too, is that he probably cares a lot more about the business now that he's actually a partner. And that's something for everyone to think about is if you do have those valuable people that you want to hold on to, make them a part of their business. Um, Because sometimes, you know, you could have a great job. You could be building this empire for someone else, but someday that person's going to realize that they're building someone else's empire and not their own.
4: Well, and especially if you're in real estate and constantly run your mouth about like generational wealth and then you're like, oh, no, no, you're just like my hourly grunt, right? (laughs) They're kind of like, I'm just going to go do this on my own. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, great. Drew, did you think of anyone?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. So again, I host the Fort Wayne Real Estate Investors Association. And so I have a lot of great relationships with a lot of the investors here in town, or at least I'd like to think that I do. But one of the fears that I had getting into wholesaling is one, there are a lot of wholesalers here already and the competition would be fierce. But my fear was that some of these people that I regard as friends and they come to me for advice and I go to them for advice that we would kind of uh, not clash, but you know, we're working to the same, you know, our businesses are the same thing, right? So it's competition. But what I have found is there are three or four of them that I know really well that we still collaborate a lot. They'll get a goofy property, property that they don't understand. And they'll say, Hey, what do you think about this? Does it make sense? And And I just did that this week with one of my buddies who wholesales just a ton of properties. And so um, it's been nice to know that even though we can be in competition with each other, there's just st- still a relationship and um, can collaborate. So A couple of key people who wholesale from the group that we work with has been nice to know that you can maintain those relationships.
4: I would definitely make a tweet from this episode of collaboration over competition. I do the same thing with all the big players in my market. We've all got each other's cell phone numbers. We all talk all the time. I think a lot of small investors don't do that and totally just shoot themselves in the
2: foot.
0: That's a great point.
4: I think there's enough
2: to go around. There's definitely enough real estate to go around to be like, I'm going to do this on my own and I'm not going to tell anybody. And ultimately, you're building a wall around yourself that you're going to end up
4: by yourself. Well, and and if you're, you're that you're, prideful, like I was at my absolute poorest when that was my attitude. I was like, I know everything yeah. yet. I'm like struggling to feed myself. <laughs> right. Yeah, so exactly.
1: Yeah. And you know, I think someone asked me the other day, you know, why do you, why do you collaborate with so many people? You know, you're just creating more competition for yourself and all of that. And, I guess my mindset is just different. Felipe, like you said, there there are more than enough deals to go around. And it's not that you find deals, you create deals, right? And so if you can learn amongst yourselves how to create these deals, I don't know, one of the, the biggest measures of success for me as an individual is how successful the people around me can be because of our collaboration, right? I mean, if they can surpass my level of success, then that's awesome.
2: I love that. I love that. Thanks for sharing, Drew. And I think everyone on uh, the real estate rookie knows that um, I'm Ashley's MVP. So <laughs> we don't. We don't need to. We don't need to ask Ashley. I'm, no, I'm pretty just kidding. sure they
0: know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or no, you think no, I'm that?
2: No, <laughs> uh, it just is what it is. No, I'm just kidding.
0: Now I know how to introduce you during the show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the
2: show. That's right. That's right. Felipe, so we're tiny biceps, yeah. Mejia. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, that hit
0: me in the heart. Oh God. <laughs> That oh, was real. You have real. no idea how that hurt him right now. Low
4: blow. <laughs> oh, you're um, welcome. I've seen some of the some of the Graham flexes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna send you some DMs now. I've been
0: waiting for this day forever.
4: <laughs> Gotta help balance some the ba- scales. Keep him humble. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that. Thanks, Ryan, for always
2: keeping me humble. <laughs> humble Ryan. So, with that, tiny biceps, Felipe is gonna move on to. The Rookie Request Line. So anyone can actually call in and leave a question at 1-888-5-ROOKIE. And, uh, you know, we might play your call here. And today the question is for Drew.
5: Hi, my name is Sally, and I'm a medical professional down in Indiana trying to get started. I was wondering if since you were a medical professional, you felt that you had to hide what you were doing on the side from your colleagues because it might make them question your work ethic. Or were you able to take advantage of those business relationships that you've made um, to help with you growing your business? Thanks, and I love the podcast.
1: Really good question, because I've I've wrestled with this very thing. You know, when you go into real estate, every podcast ever says, tell everyone you know, everyone you know about what you do and and," because you'll make connections and deals will come from that and, and things like that. Some people in your workplace are going to be very, very open to that. They're going to be very excited for you. Other people... Uh, maybe not so much. And is it is it a jealousy thing? Is it because they just don't have a similar mindset? Uh, it's it's hard to say. At the beginning, I told everyone, three, four, five years down the road, I keep it pretty close when it comes to my professional life because I have had enough experience of, it only takes those one or two or three people who don't have an appreciation for what you do, or they see it on Facebook or Instagram and their perception Is that your heart isn't in your day job, Um, and and you can't blame them for that, right? I put stuff because it's probably probably not. (laughs) Well, and in some cases, it probably isn't. You know, today I can say that I love going to my W two, and it's a good job, and I'm grateful to be there. Will that change in five years, ten years? Maybe, Um, but you know, I do real estate on the side to create security, right, and long term wealth, and that's really my goal. And so, some people just don't have an appreciation for that. And so it it can create a little bit of conflict in the workplace. So I would tread very cautiously. I think people you have very solid relationships with, tell them all day long. But I don't know that I would tell everyone to shout it from the rooftops because people will question your dedication.
4: I wouldn't necessarily be hitting up supervisors in the elevator. (laughs) Probably
1: not. Probably not, and and honestly, it's tough, right? Because I work with a lot of physicians. I, I'm in, you know, the admin level in, in pharmacy, and a lot of those people would probably invest with me if we had those conversations. But I want them to know that I'm there because I want to be, you know, not just because I'm taking advantage of it. So makes sense. It, No, that's yeah, it's that's, probably that's, that's a different answer sense. for lots of different people in different work environments. But uh, that's been my experience. I like it.
2: I like it. So. Drew and Ryan, I'm very interested in finding out what your favorite book recommendations for interacting with people or negotiating, like what's your favorite book for, for negotiating and interacting with people? Ryan, if you want to head that up and then drew, let us know.
4: Yeah. So I think, I think my, my favorite Jocko Willink uh, leadership book, somebody help me out here. Extreme ownership. Extreme ownership. Thank you. So mine was less people and more leadership. I don't think I ever set out understanding that I would be a leader and that I would have people under me that like like I sign their paychecks, right? So for a long time I kind of just shirked that responsibility of like like no oh, like your check's going to clear, that's all you get from me. And that book was pretty eye-opening for me of just like the places that I needed to show up and be supportive and encouraging and also take also take the ownership when stuff you know broke because I can't expect my people to show personal responsibility if I don't show it myself. so
1: probably that one for me true yep and Ryan, you can help me with the title of this one. Uh, what's the main Chris Voss book?
2: Never is it never split the difference? Yeah, never split the difference
1: I know a lot of people recommend that book I because it's good to, oh, it's <laughs> phenomenal it's unbelievable it, it's uh, he's a negotiator by trade like hostage negotiator and uh, the tactics that he gives you in each and every chapter, like you you can read one chapter and start using it immediately. Um, such a good book, such a good yeah, book. Yeah, even even at home and tread cautiously if it's your wife or your husband, <laughs> it, <works. laughs> it totally works. Now I've I've listened to it twice and usually I listen to books. Um, I've got a hard copy of it because there's, I'm gonna try to read it and just take in more of it because it's it's just powerful stuff. Good stuff, good stuff.
0: Great. Those are uh, both great recommendations. So thank you guys. And can you let um, everyone know where they can find out some more information about you or contact you?
1: Yeah, sure. Again, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, just look for Drew Wired. It's W-I-A-R-D. Uh, and on Instagram... It's wizard my... without the Z. Yeah, wizard without the Z. Yep. That's the easiest way to remember. And then on Instagram, I'm now the flying investor. We talked last month about how I fly paramotors and uh, that's that's very much my passion. So that's where you can find me.
4: Ryan best for me is just Ryan You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram just under my name.
0: Very cool. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, being here again for a part two and maybe we'll have to have a part three sometime and you know, see where you guys are investing or in what's going on. But I at least have taken so much value from learning this process with you guys. And, you know, especially seeing Drew grow through it as a rookie at using this kind of investing technique. So I want to thank you guys very much again for doing it. And yeah, so hopefully we'll have you guys back sometime. I am Ashley Kerr and Felipe Mejia is my co-host with Tiny Biceps. And thank you so much for listening.
3: Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice